us take a moment in prayer before the message. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have given us the gift of your word. As we come before your word this morning, learning from it, let it take root in our heart. Let it create an ever greater living faith in Christ Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week I said that words are important to us and that certain words help us understand the nature of God and our relationship to him. So if you were here last week or you were at home and uh, listening, watching, we covered one particular word and that word was redeemed. Now there's a depth, there's a breadth to that particular word that when you really start to study it, moves one. Several people last week said that, that the message about being redeemed truly did move them. Because in that one word, we see the love of God. We see the grace of God. We see the mercy of God given to us in Christ Jesus. That in him, you are redeemed. You are set free. Do you remember that? You are set free. So now today, we're going to add a little bit because Jesus is our Redeemer King. King, that's not a word we use very much in our day, certainly not in America. I might, you might hear that in other countries where they still ha have the royalty, but you really don't hear it much. But we refer to Jesus as our Redeemer King. As a matter of fact, the song that we sang, the opening song, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. All glory, laud, and honor to you, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. You are the King of Israel and David's royal son, now in the Lord's name coming, the King and Blessed One. Look, in a lot of churches throughout the world, this day, they are singing that song, all glory, laud, and honor. And they're going to be waving their palm branches, and they're going to be like the crowd cheering Jesus on, right? You're going to find a lot of that. But if you would ask them, well, what does it mean that Jesus is king? Or how is he a king? You probably get a lot of blank stares. Just as if you would say, well, how is he a redeemer? A lot of people wouldn't know how to answer that one. They don't know how to answer, who is this king? I mean, really, would you be able to answer, who is this king? That's the same question, by the way, that was all abuzz in the city of Jerusalem. You have to remember, this was the feast of Passover. As a matter of fact, on our calendar coming up, this Saturday is the feast of Passover. And it was one of those feasts, those festivals that was ordained by the Lord that was to be remembered throughout time. And in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was normally a city of about maybe 50,000 people. But according to some historians, it would have swelled to 100,000. One historian says up to a million. I think that's an exaggeration. But even 100,000 people swelling, it was full. There was a lot of excitement and energy. And this town now of 100,000 people was abuzz with this one question. 
Who is this king? Who is this king? So today, we're going to delve into that question. And we're going to answer it. It could be answered in many different messages, many different ways. This morning, we're going to answer it this way. Christ Jesus is God's promises fulfilled. The divine king who will save us by love and grace. So that's our roadmap. That's where we're going this morning. Uh, there are sermon notes for those who uh, need or want sermon notes. They are on the back tables. They're also for those that are online as well. Okay, Christ Jesus is God's promise, promises fulfilled. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and to Bethphage, uh, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. He will send them at once. So who is this guy, Jesus, who's telling his disciples to go get the donkey? You know, I'm actually having a protracted, elongated conversation with a non-believer online through Facebook. Uh, we are having a thoughtful discussion. I'm rather slow in my responses. I owe him one. But earlier on, I asked him, well, who do you say Jesus is? And he said, he is the star of a great morality story of teaching people how to live a good life. That's who Jesus is. And by the way, a lot of scholars, even today, say, well, he was just a rabbi wannabe. One of many rabbis wandering the country, that's just who Jesus is. But I want to ask this friend that I have and other scholars, well, have you really actually taken a look at his background? Have you really taken a look at everything that has come before Jesus? all of the prophecies that were given about him that he fulfilled? You know, Jesus, Christ Jesus, is God's promises fulfilled. Ever since I have started, ever since I've been here, it's almost three years now, and beginning of June will be three years, we have been taking a look at the fullness of Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, and we have been looking at how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. We have found Jesus in all the books of the Bible that we have studied. We have found him in Genesis. We found him in Exodus. Everybody's favorite book of the Old Testament? Leviticus. Yes, you remember. Second Samuel, Isaiah, Daniel, Malachi, many more. I mean, we've done that, right? We have taken a look at the promises of God fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We've seen that he is the seed of the woman, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the house of David, born of a virgin, called Emmanuel, born in Bethlehem. He has an everlasting throne. And now today there's another prophecy that is fulfilled because this guy, Jesus, said, go get a donkey. That actually fulfills a prophecy from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, 
your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Zechariah lived 500 years before Jesus was born. So this prophecy waited 500 years before it was fulfilled. But it wasn't a happenstance thing. It wasn't like God went, oh, I better do this now. This is God, Yahweh, the one who made the covenant with Abraham, the one who made the covenant with Moses. Remembering his promises, his covenant, and fulfilling them in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, Zechariah means Yahweh remembered, the Lord remembered. And it is no coincidence that this prophecy is fulfilled on Passover. Remember, we talked about this last week, God delivered, redeemed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And there was the Passover that occurred, the final plague. But God kept them safe through what? The blood of the Lamb. So God kept his covenant and it is now fulfilled in Christ Jesus. You see, as I said last week, redemption is all throughout, all throughout Scripture. So when you take a look at all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, it's not just some guy. It has to be Christ the Savior, Christ the King. To be able to fulfill all of these things makes his background, his history impeccable. Let me give you an idea of this. So there is a, was a professor, Peter Stoner, chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College and chairman of the science division at Westmount College. In his book, Stoner, Science Speaks, Professor Stoner outlines the mathematical probability of one person in the first century fulfilling just eight of the most clear and straightforward messianic prophecies. There's over 300 prophecies, messianic Messiah, which is Christ, the anointed one, over 300 prophecies throughout the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So, some of those might seem a little bit more obscure. He said, you know what? Let's just take eight of the most foundational ones, the most sure, certain prophecies. And he gave this math problem to his classes. He had uh, 12 different classes, which totaled about 600 of his students working through the mathematical probability. So this, it says in his book, the students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, and examined the various circumstances which might indicate that maybe men had conspired together to fulfill a particular prophecy. They made their estimates conservative enough so that even the final unanimous agreement was there even with the most ardent skeptics. Even they could agree on this probability. But then he went a step further. He said, all right, I'm going to take their calculations and make them even more conservative. 
And then he even sent them to the review of the American Scientific Affiliation, which verified that his calculations were accurate and dependable in a scientific method. So here's what they found. They found the possibility of one man fulfilling eight prophecies was one, one in 100 quadrillion. I had to look up what that actual word was. It is 10 followed by 17 zeros. That is the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight, just eight of those prophecies. And by the way, you've, the lottery, right? We got our lottery. I put a very uh, small, it's a yellow comma in there because you have a chance of one in 300 million. Uh, that's where the 100 million comma is in 100 quadrillion. Okay, but, but let's make this a little bit more real. So if you took 100 quadrillion silver coins and put them all in the state of Texas, they would make uh, about two feet deep. Now, let's say you took just one of those silver coins, put a, a mark on just one of them, mixed it all up in the other hundred quadrillion coins that are filling Texas, and then you took just one person, blindfolded them, and said, you can walk as far as you want, but you get one chance to reach down and pick that coin with the mark on. Does that give you a better idea of the probability of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies? Now, if you uh, just increase that to 48 prophecies, you get a 26 feet tall of all those coins. You understand just from a logical point of view, he said this, any man who rejects Christ as the son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. I wanted to say to this person online, have you actually taken a look at the evidence? Jesus isn't just some star of a morality play. He is the Christ, the Son of God, our Redeemer King. So let's go the next step. Christ Jesus, the fullness of God's promises fulfilled, and he is the divine King who will save us. Starting in verse 8, most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So were the, were the people who lined the road familiar with all the hundreds of prophecies that were about Jesus? Probably not. And yet what they shouted, the praise that they gave, actually pointed directly to his divinity. It pointed to his kingship. So let's take them. Let's look at the, the phrases here. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna actually means save us. And it is an, an expression of exaltation and honor, but it would say, save us, we pray, 
or actually I kind of like the King James in here because it, it has, a, I think, a greater sense for us. Save us, we beseech thee. It is really asking the Lord to save us. And this comes from Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Now, remember, we talked about this when it says Lord in all caps in the Old Testament. It means who? Yahweh. So they are saying, Yahweh, God of the covenant, the great I am, save us, we pray. And now they are giving that same praise to Jesus. Because they understood that this cry, Hosanna to the son of David, to the son of David, was a messianic cry, a messianic prayer. And when it says to the son of David, well, you know King David, right? Tracing his royal lineage. And by the way, we've traced this before many times, but really you can trace Jesus' heritage, his lineage, his descendancy, all the way to King David. And this is what the angel, remember, this is what the angel said to Mary before he was born. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's what it means when you say, Hosanna to the son of David. And now there's more in this phrase. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, we don't really have much about people coming in somebody else's name, except when you think about maybe an ambassador to another country. They come in the name of the ruler, the ruling body of that particular country, right? But an ambassador comes with the full weight and authority of the one who sent him or her. So to come in the name of the Lord, of Yahweh, means to come in his power and his ability to save. So they weren't just saying, blessed is is Jesus, and we hope that he can do something. Blessed is he who comes in the name, the power, and the ability of the Lord to save us to save us. Remember, again, prophecy, Gabriel talking to Joseph before before Jesus was born. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yahweh from the covenant who redeemed the people from slavery to the Egyptians now Jesus, who will, who will save us from slavery to sin, our Redeemer King. And lest you have any doubt that he is also called King, in John's Gospel account, chapter 12, verse 13, it says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So we have a king who comes to save us. Hosanna in the highest. 
So Jesus, the Messiah, was regarded as a gift from God. The one who dwells in the highest heavens and is worthy of his prayers and praise of all, including the angels. And so they now are saying the whole, that, that Jesus is coming in the very highest. This is the great praise. Also, you'd let scripture interpret scripture. You'll notice that we're using a lot of scripture this morning. If you let scripture interpret scripture, Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest. Praise him, all the angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Christ, the Redeemer, King. But not one of many, a unique Redeemer, King. It says this, because they said, who is this guy? And the crowd answered, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. He wasn't just one of many prophets. He was the prophet Jesus. And he spoke with the authority of God. And this is why the crowds were all amazed because he spoke with authority like no one ever spoke with authority before. I mean, listen to this. Gospel of John chapter 5. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Look, that's either a a megalomaniac saying something like that, right? Whoever believes my word, or he's literally out of his mind, or he's a liar, or actually is Lord. Whoever believes his words has eternal life. So when the crowd is around there, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They were affirming that this is Christ, the son of God from David, the king who would save us, who would redeem us. But he would save, he would redeem in a way that they did not expect. He would do so through love and grace. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. See, the people were expecting a hero, weren't they? They were expecting the Messiah to come. And just by sheer force, take over everything. And you can actually see this within our country right now. People on various sides raising Jesus up as the conqueror. And people want that. But he didn't come that way at all. As a matter of fact, he didn't look like a hero. You know, what gets me almost every single time Jesus is portrayed in movies, he's got these movie star looks, doesn't he? You know, he's, he's tall, perfect complexion. There's nothing out of place. But scripture doesn't say that at all, does he? Does it? As a matter of fact, 
we're going to have our Good Friday message from Isaiah. Isaiah 53 says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was plain, not like a hero. And he came to conquer sin and death, not mankind. He didn't come to wipe out the Roman army, did he? He didn't come to lay waste to all the Pharisees and scribes. But he did come to conquer. You see, what was interesting is that normally, normally in their mind, the conquering hero, the Messiah, would ride in on a white stallion, a steed. That was a horse of war, a horse for victory. But here he comes in on a donkey, a humble donkey. Not, sorry, not a, maybe the donkey was humble. Who knows? <laughs> you all went with it, right? <laughs> you were like, well, it was a humble donkey. <laughs> but he came in on a donkey, not a stallion, not a steed. And that's a sign of humility. But it's not a sign of weakness. Because he did conquer sin. He conquered death. What does Paul say? Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he accomplished what no one ever had or ever will. And he did it not by fighting. He did it by submitting. I would encourage you this week to read Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 8. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, in the world in which we live, other kings gain power from their people. But Jesus, the king, came to give away all that he had for the sake of the people. And this is love. This is love and grace. The love that he had and that he does had is the agape love, the self-sacrificial love. It is a love that lays down your life for the other. And so he laid down his life. He submitted so that he would be the perfect sacrifice. And through him, we receive grace. We receive what we don't deserve, that unmerited favor. And through love and grace, he conquered he conquered the most important thing, which is sin and the wages of sin, which is death. And through submitting, through his humbleness, we have eternal life in him. See, a lot of people today in a lot of churches are going to be doing their songs, all glory, laud, and honor, and they're going to be waving their palms, and they're going to be cheering Jesus. And I bet 
to, to, to my dismay, there's probably going to be some pastor who goes, Jesus, Jesus. And doesn't that sound blasphemous almost in a way? Because who is this king that they're cheering on? Rather, you and I <sighs> to lay everything down before him, to lay everything down and to give him all glory, laud and honor because he is our Redeemer King. That's what Palm Sunday is, our Redeemer King. So for you this week, be able to answer this for yourself. In what way is Jesus a King? In what way is Jesus a King? And how is Jesus different from earthly kings? And then for you, ponder this. Meditate on this. What are the implication, implications of Jesus being your king? Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Redeemer King. Let our hearts, let our lips, let our souls sing praises, glory, laud, and honor to him, clinging to him by faith. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.